if you can create your own trends, I think that could lead to movements. And that's something even much bigger, you know? back to Creative How, the podcast for curious creatives. Today we have Dave Dombro for you. He's a product design visionary. And if you've walked into a footlocker over the last 15 years, you have seen Dave's work. The guy's a thinker. He's a tinkerer and he's a risk taker. So enjoy this episode that's chock full of design know-how. All right, Dave, welcome to Creative How. All right. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for coming. Um, First question, agnostic of brands growing up, what was your favorite shoe? Favorite shoe ever, agnostic of brands. I'm going to go with Jordan 4. It's kind of the shoe that started it all. It's a solid shoe. To describe it for, I mean, the sneakerheads listening will obviously know, but (laughs) what was it about that one that you like so much? Well, I think I was at a certain age where I could really appreciate it. And then combined with that, it had a, had a lot of interesting elements in it. It was quite a different basketball shoe for the time. And uh, it was really part of the culture at the time as well. And if you were into basketball, you were into uh, basketball shoes, um, that was the shoe. And, uh, you know, even both colors, there was an uh, all black and then I, uh, and, a, and a white and gray and uh, had the, you know, the big logo on the back, you know, it's just a, uh, ingrained in my memory you're taking me back right now yeah. in Were a big you? way i'm getting sort of a little teary to be honest with you were you playing a lot of basketball i was playing a lot of basketball um basketball is a uh, huge part of my life actually you, you wouldn't know it by my size i'm totally stereotyping you right now <laughs> i know not true not true <laughs> the, the, what uh, speaking as a guy that gets stereotypes well in terms I, of basketball I, I, I believe that Dave was probably an extremely swift point guard, great passing skills, maybe scrappy. I was scrappy. I was swift. The only problem was I, uh, my left hand was really good. And that was about that it. That was about it. Okay. <laughs> a lot of people have that problem. <laughs> Usually it's the reverse. And that's, yeah. and that's a different podcast. Yes. Um, <laughs> so where, where'd you, uh, Oh, Sean went there early. We haven't even really been doing any drink or anything. Um, Dave, where'd you, where'd you grow up by the way? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, El Cajon, California, which is uh, kind of a suburb in uh, San Diego. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I look back and I'm where I grew up. I'm a really a product of my uh, environment, you know? Yeah. Well, so you know, I, grew, I grew up around Baltimore and I obviously loved the Bulls, obviously, because okay. everyone did <laughs> at that age. But did you have a favorite basketball team or sports teams or whatever? Uh, I did, but you know, early on actually, so El Cajon, anybody who, who knows it well, um, out there, it's a hotbed for, um, kind of like motocross, uh, BMX skate, uh, a lot of NASCAR drivers actually from El Cajon, California, oh. mm. Jimmy Johnson. Yes. Yes. That's like the NASCAR driver, right? It, it is. For a while. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I grew up in all that and, um, and that really infected uh, my life, I think, in a good way and um, kind of in a weird way sent me down this love of products, but products that pertain to kind of that stuff, skate, right. skate and BMX and uh, RC cars and racing and all that. Right. Were you sort of self-modifying things? That is a very good way to put it. I was the kid who tore everything apart, yeah. uh, repainted, recustomized everything and put it back together. And yeah, if I was racing an RC car, I would modify everything, take it all apart, you know, and then go back to the track and try to see what I did. You know, nice. that, that was my, uh, that's where I got hooked. Like, that, you're kind that, of a tinkerer, right? I, like I kind have of a- been a tinker my whole life in that way. Um, I just, you know, early on, I don't, didn't even think I really put two and two together. That's just what I did. Right. That was my, that was my life. <laughs> Dave, I, I'm, I feel like I'm not making this up. You and I were in California one time and we were driving, we were doing a shoot. And I feel like you told me something about your grandfather or your father was a, an engineer of some kind. Am I wrong about that? No, you're right. Good memory. Yeah. My grandfather, uh, someone who I have huge ad- admiration for, uh, he was an uh, electrical engineer uh, and he worked on a number of things in the military his whole life. Um, and worked on a number, number of, uh, you know, highly classified projects, but, uh, 
yeah, super motivating guy. Uh, and again, tinkerer himself, I guess at a very high, at a very high level though. Right. Is that, where do you think that you got your sort of, um, interest in design and, and tinkering? Maybe it's partially from that, but what else? Yeah, I guess it is probably a little bit from that, but, um, I think also, you know, I always was drawing as a kid. I mean, always drawing. So it was always kind of part of who I was. And I think, you know, I, I early on, I, I guess I was interested in design. I th- was really more interested in products and I was so interested in the products and how they were made and, and what, you know, what they stood for that that just naturally probably eventually took me into design. Was it, was there like a fork in the road, like engineering versus the, the more, more of the design aspect or was that's, it? That's a very good question. You know, I never knew about design. I don't think a lot of people do, uh, you know, when you're, when you're younger. Uh, so of course I thought I was going to be an architect. Um, and then, you know, not to jump ahead too far, but I, I, I went to, I didn't know what I was going to do. I, architecture was always in the back of my mind, but I ended up going to wake forest. Um, like I said, I was, uh, I played basketball, but I was also a, a basketball encyclopedia. Tim Duncan years, Tim Duncan years. Right. right. <laughs> so you're a highly recruited five-star chip, five-star yes. blue chip, blue chip prospect. Recruit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, to play intramural basketball at Wake Forest. <laughs> you killed it. I, yeah, I, I did. I was a great, uh, you know, one of the greatest dorm that's players. Like, that's ever. okay. I won yes. an intramural wrestling tournament at Penn state. I killed it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. There you go. And so there was no intramural yeah. wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, went there and then uh, eventually realized um, through a roundabout way, uh, wound up in design. Uh, so, but yeah, first I went to Wake uh, and that, that was primarily because I, I did love basketball. <laughs> so is that, yeah, that's, I mean, I, you were from California and that's obviously all the way across the country. Was it, was it ACC <laughs> basketball that took you there? Well, and I mean, Wake's a, you know, a good academic school as well, but, oh, yeah. but yeah, that. that, that definitely helped. And, you know, I had some friends at some of the other Duke and some of the other schools as well. So it was a good rivalry, but, but, uh, yeah, the basketball was definitely a huge part of it back then. I've always thought that you were smarter than me, but it's proven now because I got waitlisted a week. <laughs> and as soon as I got it, I said, they can go fuck Oof. themselves. If you just let me know if you want me to edit that out later. No, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> People can know. You don't have this to be so... Honest, we, I honest know this is the age of transparency, oh, but we don't have to be that transparent. Very man. transparent. Okay. Right. Um, so... Dave, you know, what happened there in terms of education and what was next? So it was great, but, um, you know, I kind of figured out that maybe that wasn't the place for me. And I, you know, it was really random. I had a family friend up in Pasadena, California, lived right above the Rose Bowl. And they, uh, they said, Hey, you should come check out this school. Um, I know you're into art and, you know, they didn't say design, but they said art and drawing and, you know, tinkering. And uh, you should come check out this school above the Rose Bowl. It's called Art Center College of Design. So I did. And I mean, that's kind of the moment that changed everything because I walked into that gallery and I saw, um, let me step back saying it. They're a world famous transportation design school. So probably the most famous transportation designers in the world, um, came from this school. So what, you walk- sorry. So like what types of projects when you say transportation, do you mean? So like, like so where we're talking about like design chiefs at BMW or okay. design chief, I'm talking like, you know, the best, the best cars around the that's world. That's awesome. Okay. A lot of those, um, a lot of those people came from this school. That's good context. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I went there in a, in a, and I looked in the gallery and I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I've been doing my whole life at a different level. You know, it's not BMX bikes anymore and, and skateboards and mm-hmm. RC cars, but, um, it, it just, when I saw it, it just clicked. I was like, okay, I have to go here. <laughs> the only problem was, you know, I didn't have a portfolio. I didn't have anything. So it was kind of like, how do I do it? <laughs> all right. I'm, I'm anxious to see how, hear yeah, how you did this because that, that could be a little bit of a barrier. Yeah, it was. So I, I kind of showed up, I, I put some drawings together and they kind of looked at me and said, uh, yeah, you're not, you're not ready. Uh-huh. You know, and I'm looking back now, I like, you know, I wasn't. So, um, you know, I, I was good. I, uh, I moved up to LA, I moved to LA and I basically had a six month, um, let's say time. And I said, if I can do it in six months, then I can do it. If not, then I'll have to go figure out something else or go back to wake or something. And, uh, so I did, I just started taking night classes and, uh, started to ramp up the skill set. And, uh, you know, luckily I got in. So you mentioned, excuse me, when you were drawing, 
um, maybe a little bit before college. You said you were drawing all the time. And, you know, I can personally remember loving cars when I was a kid and I actually loved Porsche. I know you like them too, but yes. what were you, were you drawing cars? What kind of things were you drawing? I was drawing everything. I mean, I was drawing buildings. I was drawing cars. I was drawing people. I mean, I, I was just, I just loved to draw and I, and I had a, a little bit of a, uh, let's say an aptitude for it. And so it was one of those things. I think you gravitate obviously in life to what you have an aptitude for. And, and so I had a little bit of a skill for that. So um, it's just something I always took with me. And um, so it, it, it kind of started to come together when I, when I saw what I could do at this school. Yeah. At that time, are you also like getting boning up on anatomy? I'm definitely taking life, life drawing classes yeah. and everything, but not so much as it pertains to, you know, footwear and mm -hmm. everything like that. I mean, at that point I had to be honest, no idea. I wanted to be a footwear designer. Yeah. I, I probably thought I was going to be more of a, uh, an automotive designer at that point. Right, I, didn't, right. I didn't really know. Yeah. So that's interesting. I, I, I feel like, you know, I know you in the context of, of footwear primarily. Mm -hmm. uh, so when did you start thinking about that? Or when did you have your first thought that maybe it would be shoes? That's when my big break happened. <laughs> so uh, got a big break and I was able to about halfway through my schooling years, get an in, uh, internship at Solomon. Uh, anybody who doesn't know Solomon's a, a French company, but they really know him for ski industry and snowboards and, and that, but they also have, um, you know, exceptional trail running shoes and, and road shoes. And back then they had inline skates and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, they had a satellite office in Boulder, Colorado, and they wanted an intern and I applied and I was uh, fortunate enough to get that internship. And I honestly thought, um, that I was probably going to go work on like skis and telemarking boots and, you know, just different things around that industry. But they put me on trail running shoes. Huh. Um, and, uh, I kind of started my education on shoes right there. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. What was the interview process for that? Like you had to, uh, they, they posted something on the school and then they sent, uh, I sent, I put a portfolio together and I sent it and, um, you know, <laughs> It's, it's all about big breaks and sometimes it's a little bit about luck. And uh, the person who was the head of design there happened to have attended the school that I had, I had been going to. So it was a, a, a fortuitous for me in a lot of ways. Um, and I'll never forget that break. Right. Yeah. So you're off and running now. Yeah. I mean, I, at that point I, I, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I, I definitely was working really hard and I was, uh, you know, living in Boulder and it was, uh, it was great, you know, and it started to set my path. I still wasn't maybe a hundred percent set on what I was going to do when I left there, but I definitely started to put the pieces together. Are you, what's the sneaker collection look like at this point before you got there? And then, Oh, before I got, cause there? I'm like before I want to know the before. And then once you're like, all right, I'm in, did you like just sell it out? And then you can, you, is it like a research thing? You just accumulated more and more models or well, it was interesting, you know, I was a, I was a, a heavy sneaker guy growing up, but more in the context of basketball, mm -hmm. specifically like the, sh the, the shoes that I played in. So whether that was like Jordans or Barclays or Air Flight 89, Air Flight, yes, Air Flight 89, <laughs> whatever, whatever it was, um, I was the context of that. So I wasn't so much a sneaker collector. And then I became, you know, really, um, really heavily into the outdoors. And I went from BMX to mountain bike, you know, and was really heavy into mountain bikes. And, um, so I wasn't so much into sneakers at that point, you know, and, and trail running was actually a good thing to get into. And then it wasn't, it wasn't that heavy. I just, it was interesting because almost my, like my love for basketball came back and I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> let's get that back. And let's bring these two worlds together again, you know, and that's how, when I graduated from art center, um, I ended up going to Nike to design basketball shoes because I was able to kind of pull the past into the future, I guess. Right. <laughs> Do you, have you noticed a, a common process in terms of interviews or how you have to prove yourself at the various places that you've, you've found yourself over the years, like just getting them to see your stuff? Is it simply showing them portfolio or, or what? Yeah. I mean, in the, in the case, I mean, it's different at every place, right? Um, in the early days, like it, when I was graduating, they actually came to the school to recruit. Um, so 
that's always a good sign because you have a captive audience, you know, wanting, wanting your attention. Um, as time went on after that, um, you know, you just kind of, you send your stuff and you, and you let the work speak for itself and hopefully it does. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So let's get into, you know, skills. You, you know, you've talked a little bit about some of the things that you liked to, to do when you were a kid and things you found out when you were in, in college, et cetera. But what do you think are the most important set of skills that somebody in product design should, uh, should get after? It's an interesting question. I mean, you got to have the fundamentals, right? And I, I think most people would answer that, uh, by saying sketching or something aesthetic based, but I would actually say that's not true. <laughs> the longer I've been in it, I would say it's really more about the approach and more about thinking. Um, I, I have, a like almost like a 70, 30 rule where I actually would like designers to spend 70% of their time thinking and 30% of their time sketching. And I feel often that it's reversed hmm. <laughs> and, uh, that can, that can lead to problems for sure. And this is, that's something you've picked up in your own, just sort of travels. It's kind of, it's kind of my own, yeah. I, I think it's my own philosophy, yeah. but, um, I, it's kind of what I picked up watching, um, to be honest, many other talented designers and how they work. And a lot of times I'll, I'll be looking at them um, throughout the years and they'll come out with something great at the end. I'll be like, wow, I never really saw you sketch that. Yeah, I just saw you researching the whole time. And they're like, well, yeah, I mean, I had to get the story right. I had to get the inspiration right. And I feel like when you get that right, you can sketch, you know, something very iconic and, and, and special in a very quick manner because you've already built all the, you know, the, the building blocks are there. Right. So that, that's, that's interesting because I think it's, it's, it's more of a quality, not quantity sort of approach. Um, and that's what I love about like when we work together, you always have a, a really solid foundational story that helps us yeah. take, you know, we're, we marketed a few of your shoes over the years. Um, but that's a really good starting point. And that's always, I know we've always appreciated that, that story to latch onto. So that's, that's really kind of a really nice nugget for aspiring designers. I, I think that's a hundred percent true. And, you know, we've, Sean and I have both worked with designers. In fact, I've worked with a designer who uh, once told me that he, he didn't know what writing was even for. Hmm. And um, since, since then he's definitely learned. Right. But I think of writing as storytelling, not literally like writing stuff down. And you've just described obviously doing that and researching. How did it happen? Like, how did you discover that it was a story maybe first and then a product? Well, I mean, I think you discover it by when you actually start doing it, you realize how much better the, the work comes out and how much more it can endure. Um, if I go back to early, early, early days, you know, I was, I was, would say I would try to style my way through something, um, you know, hot sketch, hot render. Um, and it works sometimes, <laughs> but for the most part, those projects don't endure. There's no you know, backbone there to go back to. And I think, uh, as, as you spend more time in, in industry or any creative industry, you realize that those, that, that outline and, and those key points, those are what's going to drive you to something meaningful. You know, you have to have that because you want something to be timeless. You want to go back and you want to be able to look at it, you know, 20, 30 years from now. Yeah. You're not chasing style. You're no. not decorating. No. I mean that we've always talked about, you know, it's one of the things graphic designers have to learn up when they're coming up, like start with the concept. Otherwise you're just decorating, you're just moving shit around and yeah. you see right through it. It falls apart to your point that timeless, meaningful, uh, end product, um, is just people do feel the layers and they get that whether they realize they're getting it or not. But yeah. it, and, and right. to your point as a creator, it does help you. Like it's almost effortless because yeah. when you, when you know, like what you want to say, I mean, yeah. it, it, that, that's the best part because you're just off and riffing. You know what I mean? You got that clear, you know, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is and, and that's a great feeling. Right. And I mean, it's one of those things, honestly, that I feel that they should spend more time on in education. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not a fundamental building block in the way of like sketching or something, but it's almost the most critical thing to having success later on. So in terms of the, the facets of product creation, aside from, you know, building the foundation and possibly a concept and a story, things like 
color, sketching, materials, engineering, um, how a product literally sticks together. You know, the really, um, I think some of them are very sexy, but some of them are not. Hmm. How did you learn that stuff and how important is that stuff? I mean, it's, it's critical. I mean, a lot of those skills you actually do learn during your education, right? Cause you need to have those skills. Um, and they're like building block skills, like color theory, um, sketching, uh, materials, depending on what program you went to, you can learn, learn some information or not. Um, and then a lot of it, you know, you learn on the job, but I think the critical thing is, is that the skills are constantly evolving. So, that's so important that you have to change with the times you can't get stuck and not change because they're actually, as things evolve, materials evolve, right? Um, techniques evolve. Um, your process can actually get enhanced and get better. And, um, there's, you know, been a few times in my career where, or, or even early on where I was like, Oh my gosh, that just changed everything. I got to figure that out as well. Um, and that can enhance the entire creative process that never supersedes the, the story and everything that we're talking about, because that's the, that's the, the, the building block of it all. But there's these processes that you have to pay attention to. How do you go about that? How are you, how are you staying current, you uh, know, day to day? Is that like, a, cause it sounds like it's a pressure, it's a pressure for all of us. You know what I mean? Just kind of, you know, to, to stay relevant. How do you approach that? Yeah. I mean, I'm always looking, well, I'm always looking to create better solutions, right? No matter what I'm working on. Um, and in process, if I see something that's creating something that hasn't been done or it can be done in a better way, I'm going to want to learn that process as well and apply it. Um, and I might riff on it and go a different direction on it, but I still want to know the building blocks, why it's being done. And, and uh, actually when you do riff on it, you actually get something even more original usually. So I'm always constantly paying attention to things. I'm, I'm always looking at teammates who are doing kind of extraordinary things uh, and using different tools. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Why'd you do that? And then they bring it in. I'm like, wow. Okay. What if we applied this to this and we can get somewhere new? So it's always kind of a, a hybrid approach, but I'm, I'm witnessing that, you know, every day where I'm, I'm kind of like, it's kind of the key to why you want highly, highly talented people around you. Right. Cause you know, teamwork is really gets you to that next level. In advertising and marketing, you can look back not too long ago and you can think about how, print was innovated, you know, like literally different kinds of printing and then faster printing and then better color and then all kinds of awesome sort of production techniques. And then all of a sudden it was print to digital. Yeah. Right. So you mentioned sort of witnessing those sort of game changing, mm. um, innovative techniques. Is there something you can point back to or a couple of things that were, yeah, I can those point moments for sure. I can point back to a lot. I mean, I remember even when I came back from Solomon, uh, the entertainment industry was starting to really get going entertainment design industry. And so that was a path that I thought oh, it might go that direction. I had some friends that were, um, highly skilled, much more skilled than me, but, uh, they really started to use, um, what's called a, um, it's commonplace now, but back then it wasn't, it's called a, a, a Wacom tablet. Right. Okay. Yeah. A Wacom tablet. <laughs> That's how long ago it was. But at that time, nobody was, they were, everybody was doing stuff with chalk and markers. And I came back and then, you know, my friends are sketching on their Wacom tablets and they're just, you know, blowing me out of the water. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, you can do this in layers and you can, you can fade stuff like that. And I'm just sitting there like, I guess I better go get a tablet. And, and, and like, it was almost like that, that instant, like everybody switched within a week. Hmm. <laughs> and if you didn't, you looked old. Wow. So it was that like there's stuff like that. And then there's new stuff now that, you know, I work with so many highly talented people and, you know, I have a few designers that are um, designing a VR, you know, and I think we're still trying to get our head around the best techniques and what we're doing with that. But, you know, seeing how we can approach that and, and dive in in new levels of detail that we've never been able to dive in before from all angles um, because of this tool, it's like combine the great storytelling with designing in VR. And there you go. You right. got something totally cool. Right. You sound really psyched about like the potential of all this stuff. Like I just see everything coming together and, and, and it doesn't all have to come together. Like, you know, with myself, it comes together with a team of like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I saw somebody using, um, working with somebody yesterday and we were, they were using unreal engine, uh, uh that, that, um, the platform that, you know, makes Fortnite basically. Yeah. And, uh, 
and we were using that on a total for a totally different thing. But you know, combining VR with Unreal Engine with great storytelling, you know, and it's just you know, it's, it's going to another level. Let's stick on Fortnite for a second, because <laughs> I always I always think it's interesting for people who are over twenty five to look at kids who are playing something that's been a phenomenon like I've never seen in my life. Honestly, like maybe Madden, but this is like out of control. It's out of control. Have you played? I have played, yes. Well, and the caveat, the only reason I have is because my son is yeah, same a, fa- a fanatic. Yeah, same here. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's, 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 it's crazy, but, you know, and, and I, I, I don't know if I want to comment too much on the positive or negatives of it, but it is interesting how this, the interaction between a large group of people and dynamic is completely different than it was not very long ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could talk about this for a pretty long time on a lot of different levels. Or I could, agree. Or I don't, you could read a blog to. post about it. Yeah. At Creative How podcast. Oh, it is a pretty good blog post too. I do say so myself. Um, so let's get into aesthetic a little bit. Yeah. This part I'm really excited. To, and, and because I think that one of the hardest thing for designers, at least from my world, the marketing side, um, and, and sometimes to their benefit from success standpoint and others to their detriment, they get pigeonholed from an aesthetic standpoint. Hmm. Like they call it like a one trick pony. So to speak, <laughs> it's probably being very harsh. Do you feel there are aesthetic crutches that you have? And I don't mean, I mean, I'm just trying to you know, be honest, like, because I, I think everything you design, it looks great. I just, but, <laughs> but I mean, but then I would, I probably wouldn't know. I was, but, I was going to say, yeah, yeah, throw yeah. it back to you yeah, guys. Gonna... <laughs> do you think, do you think I have a style? <laughs> it's, it's, it's honestly, it's hard to say, but I, I'm, I, I have a follow-up question for this one, but go ahead with the, are there crutches? Are there things that you just go to? Well, okay. Okay. So let's, let's try it a different way. <laughs> I have, I have crutches. I, it's. Come on, there's time-saving devices, I guess. I like to call them hacks. Yes, life hacks. Style crutches. Dave? Uh, You know, I don't really, I have to say, I I base almost everything I do off of function um, for the most part. I mean, there's maybe some projects I don't as much, but, um, and so function is really usually what's driving me. I mean, I guess I think I do have, or people have said I have a little bit of a style, um, I think that's natural. I, I, the other component I have is I have the brand, um, the, whatever brand I'm working for and that brand has an ethos mm-hmm. and I'm always trying to make sure it's reinforcing that ethos. So on one hand, I have a brand that has an ethos on the other side, I have maybe my own personal style and then I'm usually solving for a functional problem. And that's the beauty of function and performance. Cause you're always solving for something that's like next level that's never been done right yeah well that's good to have that 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 i mean we try to do that but usually our work is like right in front of our face sometimes you <laughs> you have the the maybe the benefit i don't know whether you think it is or not working two years a couple years ahead out in front you know trying to and that's also trend spotting too like because that's that i've always been amazed by that and that's a whole nother tangent of just like the, yeah the guesswork or the the you know, well, trend predicting. I mean, yeah. I mean, trend is so interesting, right. On so many levels, it's, it's kind of a controversial topic. I think, um, I, th- in one hand trend, uh, you, you need to be aware of them and where they're going and everything. On the other hand, you want to create your own trends. Yeah. Um, so you kind of need both. And if you can create your own trends, I think that could lead to movements and that's something even much bigger, you know, has there been a trend where you've just like slapped your forehead and been like that, that caught on within, within footwear or I well, mean, let's start there. But I mean, maybe just yeah, bigger or whatever. Like what, what is something what like, hell? what trend are you less like? I can't, I, you know, I mean, I, I think, believe. I think there's, if I go back, I mean, I think there's trends that caught on that I see now and I see why, and I completely appreciate them. But at the time, um, you know, when the, when the minimalist, there was a minimalist footwear trend about, I don't know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it started, it's, it, I don't know exactly what it started with, but it started basically with the five finger. Oh. And then there were a host of other, other footwear companies and other shoes that did variants on that, not five fingers, but you know, other minimalist shoes. And it really blossomed for about, you know, five, six years. And, you know, 
there's some signs to why that's a good thing. People also got injured, so I won't get into that. But, um, but you know, you look back on that area, you're like, wow, a, a very minimal, almost nothing shoe. And, and that's what people wanted to buy at the time. So it's an interesting trend. So something like that's quite shocking. But I look back now and I see why, because you can see things in reactive cycles. So, you know, you jump from minimalism to, um, to maximalism, right? <laughs> Let's go the opposite. Right. You yeah, know? Let's and then, you know, <laughs> and then, you know, now we're in a energy return cycle where it's all about energy return and they, they go in like these five year cycles. So you can kind of predict where things are going based off of that. And that's interesting. I love this trend topic, but the, the sort of everybody running to a certain corner at a certain time, it seems like everybody coalesces under a, and is that by just because of, of what, why they're all spotting the same trend or well, are just the factories like saying, this is what somebody's leading the trend Yeah, and, and it catches on and then, and then everybody's a fast follower of mm-hmm. that trend, mm-hmm. you know, so you, you obviously, are, I mean, I shouldn't say obviously not everybody who does, but I obviously always want to be the leader sure. and starting, you know, and, and if you see really successful, you know, if we leave the footwear thing for a second, you see really um, successful companies that they, they start trends or movements um, around bigger ideas, like take like Uber or Airbnb, right? That's all about a service trend, mm-hmm. but now it's a movement. I mm-hmm. mean, it's like, you can't imagine not having those things. Right. So, so any competitor is going to be basically an Airbnb. It's like a commodity almost at that point. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think a trend that I can identify is, is pegging jeans, you know, like rolling your jeans up tight. And you know, that was big in the eighties and it looked really, really bad then. It's coming back. And then it's been back for about three years. (laughs) And that, that's something I don't understand. There's a, uh, there's a typographic trend right now that that's really bothering me. I know I brought it up a couple (laughs) podcasts ago. Yeah. It's, it's odd <laughs> flavored water, bottled water, flavored water. And while we're at it, water. while we're at it, get off my lawn. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. No, but I hated it back then. So okay. it's not that I'm old, but right. <laughs> even though I am. Um, so Dave, I wanted to ask one follow up about the, um, the personal aesthetic thing. I do. I can see a Dave Dombro shoe because of what you just said. It, it's like a, it's not because of what it looks like. It's because of sort of what it does in a way or sure. the thought put into it. But you mentioned personal versus brand or joining personal and brand. What are some times in your career that you feel like you've needed to and did push a brand forward and how? Like, how do you do something like that as a designer? Well, I mean, it depends on what I think a lot of times what, um, how do you put it, life stage the brand is at. And if it's at a very early life stage, you you almost um, in some ways have the you can set the direction or, and you can make the iconic product that's going to help drive the language of the brand forward. Um, and so I, I've been fortunate enough to work at brands at all different, like, let's say life stages. So at times you're, you're starting to really dovetail into what they're already doing at other times. Uh, you really are trying to create that iconic product and let all the rest of the product draft off of that. Um, and that's really powerful as well. Um, and again, it only happens with a team, right? So you can create the iconic product, but without all the other stuff around it. And even the iconic product, honestly, is created in a team as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it always goes back to, to, to a team to do something really great. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of how it, how it works. And I, I, I guess I've kind of experienced all different levels because I've worked at brands that are really established and brands that are starting up. I love it. It's a podcast about him, but he's team, team, team. Like it's it. really cool. It's good. <laughs> I dig it. It's good. Um, so Dave, we've asked this question of a lot of different people and you know, it's, it's novelist or photographers or painters or whatever. And what and who are some of your influences? You know, where are you getting your sort of ideas and inspiration? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, I, it's interesting because I think people have such a vast array of influences. Uh, I guess, I would bucket mine into different thing, different areas, let's say. So first brands, um, I'm often looking at brands and I'm looking at brands that are, you know, matching hyperfunction with high design. Um, so some examples of that would be, there's a, a, a new, well, relatively new motorcycle, electric motorcycle company called Cake. They're putting out really cool stuff. That's their Swedish brand. And they're putting out really cool high design, but also super hyper function, super modern. 
Um, so brands like that, brands like uh, Pagani, I'm, I'm, you know, um, super, if you know Pagani, supercars, mm-hmm. um, their detail on that is the attention to detail is unreal. So brands like that, I get inspiration from just because of the obsession that goes into those products. Um, and then speakers, you know, I'm always listening to different speakers. Um, sometimes it's around motivation or, or the why of doing things. So, you know, I, um, uh, even some more mainstream speakers like, um, Simon Sinek or, um, Mel Robbins, you know, I was listening to her the other night about risk taking. It was really quite cool. Mm-hmm. Um, or CEOs. I listen to a lot of CEOs talk. Those are super inspirational for me because again, they almost reinforce the risk taking and, and that I was mm-hmm. listening to one, um, on Haim Saban and another, um, on, uh, Ali Webb. Um, which was really cool about dry bar, but like those type of things, they really, inf- they influence me. And then of course you brought it up earlier about family. You know, I have, I have two young kids and so, uh, and, and a wife. <laughs> and so, you know, the, they're highly influential to me. You know, I, I talk a lot about, um, finding the unexpected. Uh, I, I probably find more unexpected comments and unexpected inspiration from the family than anywhere else. Well, I was just going to say, is that the, <laughs> is that the feedback loop? It, it can be, and it's probably the roughest feedback because yeah, it's, yeah. it's totally unfiltered. I mean, I, I can show them the most beautiful, you know, presentation of all time. And they just look at me and they'll, they'll just say like the most random comment, you know, and you're just like, seriously, what about the production level on this? <laughs> right, right. It doesn't matter. They're like, nah, you shouldn't even show that. It's not. Very good. <laughs> wow. Okay. What are some you- shoes that they cut that, that you didn't listen? Thankfully. I, I Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm sure they, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure everybody that saw fat tire gave it a cut. I mean, some people directly gave it a cut, but, um, yeah, it's, it's more, uh, it's not even that as much as it is sometimes like these beautiful imagery that I show them. And I, you know, I think they get all like, you know, psyched about it and it sometimes just goes exactly the other direction. Cause their, 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 um, barometer is looking at, you know, movie screen. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. <laughs> I told Sean the other day that my son, um, yeah. does imitations of both of us mm. from the podcast. And it's like, you know, we're, we're kind of like, eh, we think it's pretty cool. And <laughs> I think they do too, but he does, does our introduction and then he switches over to whoever it wasn't doing. And it's, it's really, really funny and also very humbling. Yeah. It's very humbling. So yeah, they don't, <laughs> they don't have much of a, a filter in terms of the emotional, uh, <laughs> angst that they cause. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> All right, David. So then like more on a professional level feedback loop, mm-hmm. what are we looking at? Who, who are the trusted core? Yeah. I mean, I, I actually get feedback from quite a few people and often almost every day. That's shocking. Yeah. All, all the time actually. <laughs> um, and I, I find it healthy. You know, I, I, I think I'm aware enough to know that, you know, designers get creatives in general, you get really close to what we do. And uh, so close that, that you can't separate yourself and you can't really have an objective opinion about it. So I'm always asking for feedback. Now, I, I will caveat that by saying there are times when you're just like, I feel really strongly about this. And it's it's something that's just very, very disruptive and different. And you're just going to go for it. Um, and that takes that takes a lot because you're going to get a lot of opposition. <laughs> Yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, I've seen it happen and I've seen you stick to your guns. And so I think <laughs> it's funny cause we'll, we'll, we'll see, I know there's been conversations on a number of times where we've watched it in action and we've always come back to our space and be like, God damn it. Dave can do it. <laughs> One time you told, we were sitting on a train up to New York and it was, we were working on the speed form and we're sitting across the row and I was telling you how some things were going down from a creative, from, from our end, uh, in the marketing and the advertising. And you looked at me and you're like, why do you let people make those comments? And it was just, <laughs> it, it, I remember telling Jed and I was just like, it just set me back because I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a good answer. I probably said, I'm supposed he to. always says that shit, <laughs> but it's, it's an interesting thing for people in any creative field. And I think maybe we'll just end up in a, in a question here, but you have to deal with, uh, a lot of feedback and you deal with feedback from all different kinds of people. Mm. And a big part of being a great creative is sticking to your guns, but it also is figuring out how to make changes. And if you really should, yeah. right. So like 
what's sort of the line of demarcation for you? How can you know that you need to make that some kind of change? Well, I think you have to understand what you're, what you're working on and you have to understand the, you have to, half your brain has to be on the business side. Half your brain has to be on the creative side. And, um, you know, I've always prided myself on that's kind of partially been my success is that I've been able to kind of balance those two, depending on what the project are. And if the project, the business isn't going to rely on the project that much, then maybe we can take a little bit bigger risk. It's a calculated risk, but maybe we can take a bigger risk. If it, if it is more about business and, and we're really upfront about that, then, then it is a little bit more important to, you know, step back and, you know, really figure it out. So it's, it's, it's a tough one, but it's, it's kind of the, it's the, it's the art of business basically. <laughs> yep. Well, that gets to the question about, you know, disruptive versus commercial mm-hmm. when you approach projects. And I guess that framed up the context. Like, you know, when you can take a shot or risk, you just mentioned, yeah. you know, a talk by a CEO about risk taking. Yeah. Well, um, how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, if I always, I'm always shooting for a better solution. And the interesting part about that is when you shoot for something that's better, it's intuitively going to be disruptive because if it's better, it's probably never been done. And that's scary to people. Yeah. I assume you have high standards of that. Are you toiling and are you scrapping a lot of things and in, 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 in search of that sort of disruption, that moment? Anybody who's always searching for better and better um, solutions, they do have really high standards and it's almost like just sticks with them their whole life. You know, you can't, it's always that never ending thing, like where you're trying to achieve, you know, perfection, but you're never going to, you're never going to achieve Well, I guess that's the question. Like, (laughs) like, have you, you probably haven't, you know, caught your white whale, you know, so to speak, you know, and I don't know if I ever, ever will, but you know, I'm always going to be trying to search for that. And there's some projects that, you know, you look back and you're like, Oh, that was, that was great. But wish you, I could have done this. Do you have mm-hmm. that? Cause I, I know I do. Yeah. Like there's always, I mean, pretty much every project is like you left some meat on the bone. Always, always. But yeah. that's not to say, you know, that I didn't give and the team didn't give 110%. We did. It's just, there's always that next thing. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's easy to look back at projects and say that was really solid, but I could have done this and then look at others and say they sucked, you know, yeah. it's un- unfortunate, but um, have there been, Dave, have there been mistakes that you've made along the way that you've learned from that, um, are of a special significance? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, early on, of course I made a lot of mistakes and, uh, I think I, I might've mentioned earlier, but I tried to like style, uh, my way out of things, you know, draw my way out of things rather than have that solid foundation. And as time went on, I learned like, oh, the solid foundation actually the storytelling, um, the script, that's, what's the key. Uh, every, you know, all the other stuff, it, it'll come quite, quite well and quite quickly if I can get that in place. So those were the mistakes early on for right. sure. So Dave, um, you know, over the course of your career, you've done a lot of things. So what are some of your favorite products or projects? Yeah, I have a number of favorites for probably for different reasons. Um, there's a few things that stand out. There was one at Puma, um, and it wasn't really one project. It was multiple. We were trying to, st- we were, we were stitching the bottom. If you can imagine the bottom of a shoe, um, and a, a, like a cushioning and a, we were stitching the bottom to the upper. We weren't gluing and we were doing that across multiple different things. So we were stitching foam to the upper, we were stitching rubber. Um, and they came out with these pretty cool, these cool shoes. Um, one was called lift racer, Usan. Um, there was one called the Selmio, but the reason why they were some of my favorite projects were, they were actually really, um, quite ugly at first. I mean, like you wouldn't continue with these projects, but the VP at the time there, he, he looked, you know, at these projects and for whatever reason he could see the, the next iteration of these. Hmm. And he's like, yeah, no, no, you have something here. It hasn't been done before keep going, keep. And it was like that, that moment where, um, I carry that with me now as I lead people, it's like trust, have the faith and try to see the vision of where it's going to be, you know, two or three steps beyond because too many great projects are cut down when they're not that beautiful. And so I think it's an important thing for creatives. And it, it was an enlightening thing for me, um, from this 
this, this VP was like, wow, he's really seen something I'm not. Um, but then when the projects finished, they were, they were well received. And I'm like, wow, I wouldn't have gotten there without that advice. Hmm. So I try to carry that with me. Um, some other projects that are my favorite, um, are more recent. Um, one is speed form. Um, and the other one is fat tire. And, uh, <laughs> unfortunately this is all audio, but I'm wearing the speed form Apollo, Dave, one of my all time favorite shoes. So I think you to thank for a that. Great tribute. Uh, yeah. th- uh, thank you. Yes. Me, me and Kevin Fallon, I, I cannot take full credit, but, uh, yeah, that, um, that was a, a really important shoe for me personally. Uh, and, but, but why it was important was really more about, again, um, you had to overcome obstacles and it was almost like it wasn't traditional shoe. We made it at a bra factory. Um, so there were a lot of different things. It required trust, um, between myself, uh, Kevin Fallon and, um, and a few other people. And it required, um, you know, just this, 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 this movement, I guess, to get it done, oh, yeah. you know, it was, it was really interesting. And so for me, that was a really interesting project and same with fat tire. You had to overcome these, these obstacles. Um, but the great part was when it was done, uh, it, it, they turned into very special iconic projects that, you know, hopefully will endure for years and years yeah. and years. Yeah. And then, and, and forgive me, but I didn't love the first version of the speed one. The one with the toes? Yeah, I didn't like that one. Oh, we were being provocative. Okay. <laughs> I really love this one. This one, it was the next one. It was cause, only because you brought it up about the, the the cycle and the iterations. Like I was like, that's the one I want to wear. Yeah. And what's cool about those projects, they're, they're unique. There's nothing really like them on the market. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're fortunate also to, um, because of that, they, they won a bunch of awards. And, yeah. and I think that's going back to some of the stuff you we were talking about earlier is sometimes things are well received because they have that, that, that script, that story and, and they're vaulted. And, and, you know, there's not much design actually in the speed form. If you really look at it, it's the, but one of the simplest shoes of all time. It is. It's amazing. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, and sorry to get so deep into something we all worked on together, but the simplicity of that shoe was the thing that, um, you know, our photographers noticed. And um, we even worked with an agency at that point, speaking of, yes. of Fallon. <laughs> they did a great job, but they found some ways to image that shoe that showed off the simplicity oh of it goodness. in a really beautiful way. They were beautiful. Those, those photographs were unreal. So Dave, I think one thing that you've done quite a bit is, you know, come up with your own ideas, concepts, et cetera, as we've talked about, but you've also worked with a lot of athletes. Hmm. Can you talk about some experiences with athletes and how they may have um, influenced you? For sure. I mean, working with athletes in general is just it's a very special opportunity for anybody. Right. Um, I think, you know, we've all had athlete in our actions at some point and, um, you know, a lot stand out. I'll, I'll go to more, more recent ones. Uh, Stephen Curry, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, guy's an amazing human being, <laughs> great, yep. great person, you know, and, and Cam Newton, uh, another, another guy who's he's just larger than life. Right. Um, and they're, they're both really interesting to work with, um, with, with Stefan, uh, I'll go back to the first time I ever met him. Uh, and this just gives you a sense, you know, I went to, went to his house and I thought I was going to be there. I don't know, an hour, you know, typical meeting. I think I was there like six or seven hours because it just became a thing where we were, we're going back and forth and trying to find out information. And then, you know, it, eating dinner and you know it's just it 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 was very natural and uh you know he also has an amazing family as well so yeah no question how involved is steph he is he is super involved uh he's always been super involved you know and and that's actually part of the reason why you know i was glad that the first meeting we ever had was at his house because then i could really dive into the process of of how we can really start to explore who he is um, and it, it helps me to be, um, in somebody's space in order to discover who they are. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. That, that seems, yeah. You, you kind of curtains pull back a little bit. You start to see things that you yeah. never would know otherwise. Yeah. And, and even from decor things, I'm yeah. sure you're picking up as a, everything you're observing a lot. Music, decor, yeah. and, 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 and that stuff, like they, they, they might not be able to articulate that to you, but, yeah. but when you're there, you just start to pull it all in and you're like, Oh, and then you you produce that later yeah. and show them and they're like, Oh my gosh, you, 
You saw that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I can only imagine you're sitting there and like, it's like that fight club scene where you're just cataloging the whole room and you're just like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, there was, it was the, the funniest one was when I opened a, I don't know why, but I saw some like, you opened his drawer today? Yeah, oh, I did. But I opened a, a, <laughs> kitchen, a kitchen, kitchen, kitchen drawer. Uh, some candy poking out of a, a of a kitchen mm-hmm. drawer. Whatever. So I just yeah, I just kind of pulled it open. Like this can all this candy fell out, and I'm like, what is going on here? You know, candy ring. Yeah, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, he, he actually eats this candy every day. You know, and I'm like, okay, well, guess that's a important thing we need to make a a color and a story with. You know, so that's but, great. It, you know, it just goes on and on with him. And, and, um, you know, I was looking at his car and he had, you know, golf clubs back and, you know, he's an incredible golfer, but back then actually not everybody knew he was an incredible golfer. This is the first Curry. It was like the, the, the things you don't talk about. <laughs> yeah. Kind of, you know? And, and so it's just, I'm like, well, why, why are you always carrying his golf clubs? You, know? well, <laughs> you, you do know how good he a golf, you know, how good he is at golf. Right. I'm like, well, I didn't, but now I do, you know? So, and of course he's gone on and he's an, he's an amazing golfer, but, yeah. um, but yeah, you learn all these, these little things and you try to, you try to put them into the, into the shoes in meaningful ways. And, uh, and then, and then on the other side, you're balancing the function because, um, you know, these are world-class athletes and they have, um, very attuned functional needs, you know, yeah. that you're looking at that you're trying to solve. So you're not only talking to them, um, another one of the first meetings I have was, was talking to his trainer, yeah. um, for the, for the warriors, because I want to know what's working, what's not working. So this is a really good point. Cause he's evolved, mm. you know, I mean, from, you know, however many years ago, like, and then the pace of technology has evolved. Yeah. So that's a weird kind of coming to a head. So explain a little bit about that. Like how you, you know, cause obviously you couldn't do what you're doing right now in the current iteration. We're about to be upon a seven We're at six right now. Yeah at one. No. So what, what, I mean, so how have you like continued to change pace and how has he changed and what are some yeah. new technologies that have allowed you to service his game? Well, what's interesting is we've been able to go obviously much lighter with the shoes as, as time has gone on because materials have advanced. Um, with that, we able to go to lighter structures and, and in some cases go to more minimal structures and lower because we can offer the same support that, you know, we couldn't in the past. Mm-hmm. So we're able to kind of streamline his product in a really good way to optimize this game, uh, but still offer what the support and what he had in the one yeah. <laughs> with what we're offering in the six. And that's due to advancements in materials and, and, and technology. Completely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Completely. It goes back to that. And that's where you're always having to pay attention, always keep up in your game, knowing, Hey, let's, let's try and do this here, you know, and, yeah. and he has to be open to it as well, but he is. I think that's interesting because like you could just say, well, Dave, why didn't you design the six at one? Yeah. You know what I mean? It yeah. doesn't work that way. It's, it doesn't it's, work that it's, way, but it's an yeah. iterative process. It's an iterative yeah. process. That's, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I know that you go over to Asia quite a bit and I know that not all designers and creatives do that. Uh, I know some do. Yeah. Some, but, um, you know, the fact is that that's where a lot of manufacturing is across the apparel and footwear industry. And then that's where you have to workshop things. So why do you do that? Why did you choose to do that? And why doesn't everyone? Well, for me, it's critical because I think you, you solve a lot of problems when you're making stuff um, as a maker. But beyond that, it's also when you can really dive into the, the details. And for me personally, I'm like I said, I'm always trying to do something that is better and hasn't been done. It's very hard to explain um, remotely to somebody what hasn't been done before and to do it in this way. It's easier to sit there and actually go back and forth and show somebody and it almost iterate real time. And that's why I go, because if you're trying to do something that's never been done, it's, it's very hard for to understand. Besides the language barrier, mm-hmm. the, the actual like mechanics of understanding, you wanna do that? That sounds crazy. Yeah, but I want to do it in this way. And then I want to do it like this. So then we get here. And then, you know, you see the the other part is when you're over there, you see the light bulb go on. Oh, now I understand what you're trying to do. <laughs> so it's it's critical. Yeah. Um, you can never replace face-to-face human interaction when trying to solve a problem. It's just how it is. On a scale of meh, one to 10, how maniacal are you about the, the whole process all, all along the way? I'm, I'm very maniacal on trying 
to go somewhere that hasn't been gone before. And would that be advice you'd pass on to, to your designers? Do you try and part that into your team? I try to, um, I, I think it's super critical and I think the details are critical. Yeah. Actually the details are, are some of the most critical. If you, if you, it sounds crazy, but if you get a detail wrong, you might have just missed a consumer or, yeah. or missed the athlete. What's that idea of, of uh, extreme ownership? Completely. Right. I'm a big believer in every touch point. And so it really goes beyond just the product, like how you market something, how you talk to the language that you talk to somebody with all those points have to be a hundred percent or very close to a hundred percent dead on in order to reach that person or reach that. If you miss one dramatically, I, I don't think you have a chance. You just mentioned some marketing and I, I just want to be really <laughs> candid right now. Have we ever pissed you off, Dave? Um, have we ever not delivered for you? I, you know, you guys are strong. So I think you, you've okay, no, you pretty be, good. You can be totally honest, yes. <laughs> I'm sure there's been moments. I mean, but, uh, you know, I think back now and I, you know, I, I hold you guys in very high regard. So that's, well, thanks. I'll leave it at that. Thanks. Yeah. thanks. Awesome. <laughs> that's good. That's a good segue to the creative house. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so Dave, yeah. uh, our show promise, uh, as you know, um, is creative how we want this to be very utilitarian, which I think so far it has been. We want to kind of go very, very, maybe tactical, but at a, you know, however detailed you want to be, when somebody turns this off tomorrow, tonight, whenever, they will have the first three to four things they need to go become a footwear designer or maybe a product designer. We don't have to, you know, sure. pigeonhole into that. I mean, it's just because of what we're talking about, but what would you recommend they do to get on that, that path? Okay. Uh, first thing is fundamentals right? You have to have the fundamentals. Um, and when I'm talking about fundamentals, I'm talking about skill sets. So sketching, and that comes through re repetition and just, you know, just getting it done. So in order to do that, um, maybe it's not a hundred percent, but the, the, I, I, my opinion would be the easiest way would be to go to a, a school that teaches this. <laughs> um, and then that doesn't mean they teach footwear design. It just means that they teach design in general. Now, um, you go to a school like art center where I went, it's a great school. They teach a multitude of things that can work. Um, there's also places that are more footwear specific, like pencil in, uh, in Portland that are more geared directly towards footwear. Um, if you're really headed that way, um, or a combination of both, which, you know, is probably what I would actually recommend, but, um, that you need for sure. So that would be number one fundamental. Uh, after that, I would say, and I mentioned it maybe earlier, but approach thought process. So what happens is a lot of people gain the fundamentals and they become, they, they might've already had a, um, an aptitude for sketching. So they're, they're good artists. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Problem is there's a lot of people that are good artists, but how many people are great thought leaders and thinkers? Um, and if they train their, just like they train to be a great sketch artist, um, if they train their mind to be a great thought leader, um, I think that's another really important part of separating yourself from the masses. Um, the third thing I would say, and it's pretty simple, is just work hard. <laughs> just work hard. You know, somebody once told me, Dave, you don't um, you don't out out talent people. You outwork them. I took that as a huge compliment. And I think it's super important. Oh, they meant that about you personally. Yes. They weren't just like being philosophical. No, no they, they like literally like, Dave, told somebody early on my contact early in my career, like they said, and they weren't a designer. They were um, more on the business side and they're like, yeah, you're not, you're not from what I can tell, you're not out talent people, <laughs> which I kind of like, I don't know how to <laughs> Wait, take that. On. Yeah. <laughs> but you're out working people. And I'm like, you know, I put a, and I put a lot of um, pride in how hard I work. And so I took that as a huge compliment and I still hold that true today. I feel like I'm a big believer of prepare for success. Um, and if you prepare, um, you, you, you know, it's going to be there for you, mm -hmm. but without that preparation, it's not. And it all goes back to the working hard, the preparation. So when you're in that meeting, you, you, you already know you're in good shape. Yeah. That's really great. Um, and then the, uh, I'll, I'll just add the, the last one, um, cause people don't talk about it enough. It's just have fun when you have fun <laughs> and your work shows that you're having fun. It shows through and people want to be a part of what you're doing and it becomes 
a, a, a whole new level of, of where you can go as a creative. So, so I want to peel back the curtain just a little bit. <laughs> and so for the listeners and, and any aspiring footwear designers, yeah. what will cut through the pile of portfolios probably coming into your office weekly? What would make them stand out? Like, how are they marketing themselves? How are they presenting themselves? What are, what are the things that make yep. those books rise to the top? Well, I mean, I, you want to, you want to see everything I just said, yeah. but you also, I would say, assuming those are all table stakes, assuming and, and those, those are all, table those aren't stakes. even getting like, there's probably some filter yeah, that, and, that before it gets to you, only the really talented folks are getting to someone of your stature in, in terms of the organization out of that grouping. Yeah. What are the ones that, is it just aesthetic based? What are you really looking for? Uh, well, aesthetics there for sure. You, you want to see passion for what they're doing. I mean, passion is, is, is so important and you want to see something that honestly doesn't look like everybody else. Um, so many portfolios today looks very, very similar. Um, actually so many, so much footwear today looks very, very similar. And so portfolios were a reflection of that. And so you don't really want to see that, right? You want to see different thinking, different approaches. Um, but you also want to combine that with high aesthetic level, um, high skill set, and then, um, new solutions that you've never seen before. It's a little back to that trend topic. It is, you know, don't, don't try to be on trend now, show you the next, next. Yeah. 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 Or show me how you got there. Show me like, yeah. this is the trend today. Yeah. Based off that, I can infer that the trend in five years is going to be this. Yeah. So that shows like, okay, that person's going from here to here um, and going to a deeper level than just a sketch, but they also have to have the great sketch too. So <laughs> the passion thing I think is pretty interesting Dave, because mm -hmm. I've, you know, noticed that you're willing to jump in on all aspects of a project. You know, if you're, starting with a shoe, you're willing to work on the marketing. You're willing to go to a shoot. You're willing to go over to Asia. Like we talked about, you're willing to um, tweak your own um, approach and mm. things like that. So I think that can't be overstated to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's holistic, right? Um, and, and I don't believe that uh, the consumer or the athlete necessarily looks at things in one linear fashion right there. They're looking at like, there's the product, there's the marketing, there's the messaging. It's all one thing. Mm -hmm. And so of course I want to be part, I don't pretend to be an expert in all those areas, but I want to be part of all those areas and be like, okay, how can I, how can I, it's so important to have the story at the beginning, somehow make it to the end. And, uh, that requires great collaboration and great trust. And, you know, luckily, uh, you know, with you guys, even I've been on a few projects where we've done it. So it's great. So one, one last thing to kind of take us out. Um, and I know your current purview is extending beyond footwear actually, which is really cool. in, in terms of sure. just the overall uh, management of the design of the brand. Um, but what's next in terms of like, I guess what's your dream project and it doesn't have to be sports performance based. Is there something just again, that white whale of a product or I don't know, you're going to be able to become a sculptor. I don't know. Good question. Sean. What is the, I mean, I'm, I'm highly passionate about, you know, what I do. Um, so my, my white whale is always within what I'm doing. Honestly, I, I wouldn't, I would never choose to do anything else. Uh, so that's where I'd live. I just think my passion is always the next project that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. if I'm honest. So, so right now I'm working on something that I'm, you know, really excited about. Um, but that's because it's my next project and it's going to lead to, greater things, you know, than where we are today. I guess I think, I, I, think I know what it is. Do I? <laughs> you do. Yes, but I can't say. <laughs> yeah, you can't It's fucking about. cool too. Well, that's cool. I guess what I was asking, is there a, uh, is there a notebook under the bed somewhere of uh, vehicle designs that you're just pitching right. to? Uh, <laughs> it's not. I do. The, in a I secret do, compartment somewhere. Oh, I, I do sketch a car now, <laughs> then, but, uh, but no, I'm, I'm, uh, no, I'm pretty focused on the, the prize at hand. Yeah. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming. And, uh, we learned a lot, obviously. I thought we uh, yeah. knew quite a bit about you already, but man, maybe 95% we didn't. So thank you so much. All right. Thank you. It's been great being here. And so then where can people find you? Yeah. Or you'll find me uh, a few places. You'll find me LinkedIn. You, you won't, uh, you won't see me too many other places. Ah. <laughs> we talked about that, that you're, you're, you're not super into social media, which I think is 
That's interesting. Is that the, so you can kind of focus and not be sort it, of? It kind of is, and I and I also like I have yeah. It, it, even creatively, I I tend to want to want to go in these kind of interesting maybe new places. And uh, again, it's not like I'm I'm not paying attention. Sure, it's just. Oh, uh, yeah. It's just sometimes I, I want the, let's just say the, the distractions. Not yeah, there. Sometimes look, people have come on and been like, it's just too much. Even, you know, you said you were listening to Kiko. He, he's like, you got to put it down yeah, and kind of shut it off for a while. Yeah. I'm, I'm a runner, you know? Yeah. And so sometimes I'll go run trails and I'll just, you know, nothing. And I'll just, I just want to hear nothing. And I just want to think. And, uh, for me, that's kind of like my, my happy space, you know, where I can really start to think creatively. So. I admire bonus, that. Bonus creative how? I admire that. <laughs> Love it. Cool Thanks, man. Dave. Thank, Thank you. you. So it's probably pretty obvious to everyone that we've worked with Dave quite a bit and we really, really respect him. Yeah. Our roles usually come at the end of the process uh, when it comes to the marketing and advertising of his creations, but we definitely have benefited from, you know, his, his thoughtfulness and his conceptual development early on in the stages. So everybody, thanks for listening and um, please check out the show notes. There's obviously some great stuff in there at creativehowpodcast.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at creativehowpod. Smash the like. Smash the shit out of the likes, people. Sorry for the profanity. Not really. Hey, Jed, did you hear our kick-ass intro music? Shockingly, that's out of our technical wheelhouse here at Creative How. That type of sick sound design is a White Noise Lab original. White Noise Lab is a music composition and sound design studio that works with agencies, production companies, and brands on projects for film, broadcast, interactive websites, corporate videos, video games, and experimental projects. The chances that that movie trailer you just saw on you know, YouTube that's probably a white noise lab original more often than not. So whether you're looking to fulfill your sound design needs or simply need someone to collaborate with on an experimental project or maybe an experimental podcast, check out whitenoiselab.com. That's whitenoiselab.com.